0: Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, a lot of strange things happening. Uh, We've got a lot (laughs) of strange things happening. We've got these, I don't know, Joe Biden is building his transition team. I think we're going to soon have announcements, perhaps a chief of staff uh, quite soon. Uh, Not far beyond that, we'll hear some cabinet he is building his transition. He is proceeding and preparing to take the oath of office on January 20th. Yet on the other side, a lot of noise out of the White House. The president hasn't conceded. He, Joe Biden. I don't get the sense he's waiting by the phone for the call. Uh, but the call certainly hasn't no. been been made by by Donald Trump. In the meantime, uh, all of that happening, we have uh, you know a round of firings, and it's not just Mark Esper. Uh, you've had uh, three other uh, senior officials at the Pentagon boom gone fired uh, I know that we, we've had uh, firings at, at, at mid to upper mid levels uh, throughout the, uh, the this administration seems to be a bit of a purge I don't know what the point of it is you know I mean there's theoretically only about 70 or so days left uh, for this White House uh, but but you know an uneasy time but I, I have to say the the, the, the tone has been Kind of set here by Joe Biden, by the uh, by the president-elect, because a lot of people are really up in arms, you know, talking about Donald Trump destroying our democracy and refusing to accept, it all you know, doing a lot of stuff that, that is real, really quite alarming, um, and Republicans, you know, seeming to uh, you know to essentially go along with uh, with, with with what's happening. But li- listen to what. Biden had to say about Donald Trump's failure to to concede.
1: Sir, what do you say to the Americans that are anxious over the fact that President Trump has yet to concede and what that might mean for the country?
2: Well, um, I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. Uh, The only thing that uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I, I think it
0: will not Help the president's legacy. And, and Biden was asked point blank, "What does he think of these Republicans? Is he concerned about these Republicans that are refusing uh, to uh, acknowledge that he is the president-elect?" And I, I liked Biden's response. It was essentially, um, "They will. They will. <laughs> they will. They'll get there." But, 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 Rick, uh, one other, uh, one other bit of sound here um, from Mike Pompeo, who likes to tell us, or the president likes to tell us, he was at the top of his class at West Point. Uh, he is the Secretary of State. Uh, you know, he's considered—I don't know. Some people like to say he's one of the adults in the room. I, I, but he's the Secretary of State. He's—he's he's, he's got a very important position in our government. He's in the direct line of succession. All of that. Um, but he was asked a—he uh, was asked a question at the uh, at the State Department by a reporter, and his response set off some alarm bells. So I want to play this. Most of what people have heard is just the first sentence in his answer to this question. Trevor has been kind enough to cut a, the, the, the full answer, and I I, I want everybody to hear. We'll play it long. I want, we'll play, play it long. Yeah. I want everybody to play it long, and then I want to I want to get your reaction to it. Is the State Department currently preparing to engage with the Biden transition team, and if not, at what point does a delay hamper a smooth transition or pose a risk to national security?
1: There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. All right, we're ready. The world is watching what's taking place here. We're going to count all the votes. When the process is complete, there'll be electors selected. There's a process. The Constitution lays it out pretty clearly. The world should have every confidence that the transition necessary to make sure that the State Department is functional today, successful today, and successful with the president who's in office on January 20th, a minute afternoon will also be successful. I went through a transition on the front, and I've, I've been on the other side of this. I'm very confident that we will uh, do all the things that are necessary to make sure that the, the government, the United States government, will continue to perform its national security function as we go forward.
0: Rick, so- uh, John, there's a lot. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. There's I'm, a lot in that answer. Yep, Yeah.
0: and that first sentence would flip everybody out. You know, he's saying
3: uh, yeah, transition
0: sure. to a Trump, second Trump uh, uh, term, but I don't know, I mean, I don't think that's really what he was saying. I think it was. I think it was arguably quite irresponsible that that answer that went around the world and made it look like, oh my God, maybe we're not going to see a transition of power here. But yeah. but what do you make of the second part of the answer?
3: Yeah. So look, some real talk on this, John. Let's let's get let's get real and try to decipher this because it actually does it does require a certain degree of translating Trump speak into normal English. Because people like Mike Pompeo, and frankly, the Washington Press Corps, we've gotten pretty good at understanding how the president consumes information, how he hears things. So yes, that first part of that answer, that is pure Trump speak. Uh, you can almost hear the hint of, hint of a laugh in his voice, uh, like a, a little bit of a smile after he says that it'll be a successful uh, transition to a second Trump administration, because guess what? He knows. And guess what else, John? Everybody knows. It, it is over. John, I, I, I'm asking you this very seriously and um, very very forthrightly. Are there people that, uh, that, that are populating the high ranks of this government right now who honestly believe that Donald Trump will be sworn in for a, a second term? I, I, not, not are there people. There, Of course there are people. But, but, but how prevalent is that view? The president's uh, tweets and, and public statements notwithstanding, how realistic – Do people around the president in the government and in the campaign think it is that the tens of thousands of votes in four or five states will be overturned and that the president will be inaugurated for a second time?
0: I've been told by multiple people close to the president who are speaking to him every day during this process, some of whom are actually involved in pursuing these legal challenges, who have told me – That he doesn't believe that there's a chance that this is overturned. That he, Donald Trump, understands that it is over. And I ask, well, why is he doing this? And the answer I've gotten pretty consistently um, is he is doing this to create doubt about whether or not about, about the legitimacy of Joe Biden's victory So that when he leaves, and it's always when he leaves, nobody says if he leaves. When he leaves, he can claim that the election was stolen from him and that he did not lose. I think there's also an awareness that people like you and I aren't going to buy that. Um, But there's a belief, the president has apparently, that all those people that come and cheer him on at those rallies and are his most fervent supporters... That they will believe him, and that they will forever believe that Donald Trump actually won, and that the election was stolen from him. But Rick, I I, I really I I hate to sound you know so definitive about something that is uh you know still in, in some corners being adjudicated. But I've spent a lot of time looking at the specific allegations. I know you have as well. There is nothing out there that could come anywhere in the realm of overturning the results in a single state, let alone in the minimum of three states that Donald Trump would need. And many of the allegations actually fall apart. And I want to give you one specific one that that is, um, you know, I think think has been a mistake for the Trump team, and I think that they may come to regret. They cited 3,000 people in the state of Nevada that they said had voted, even though they had moved out of the state and were no longer, because of that, eligible to vote in Nevada. And they had specific fo- voter files, you know, that they, that they cited zip codes and areas and all this stuff. Um, the areas they cited included Nellis Air Force Base. Nellis Air Force Base is where a lot of American heroes, members of the Air Force, it's a joint base, so you got, you, have, it's not just Air Force. Uh, you know, work work to defend our country. And they also get deployed, and they also get transferred, and they also, you know, they move around. Like, members of the military, as part of the sacrifice they do to serve our country, have to do. So they, they were suggesting that U.S. military members who voted in Nevada are ineligible. I mean, it's ridiculous, and it's offensive, actually. But they don't have the facts. They're flailing around. It's like the the, the also in Nevada the uh, the woman they produced who said that her ballot had been stolen, and then it turned out that no, actually she had signed the ballot, and as she later uh, uh, acknowledged, uh, maybe she had forgotten. I don't know. But I mean, it's th- th- these are comically bad examples, except it's not so comic. But anyway, the bottom line is it truly is a sideshow. Unfortunately, a lot of people hear it and believe it, but it truly is a sideshow. The president knows, the people around the president, the people closest to the president know uh, that it is over and that he will be no longer in power at 1201 on January 20th, 2021.
3: And John, the other person that knows this is Joe Biden. And, and you know the, the the clip that we played here, the general attitude he has, he is the most calm, least freaked out Democrat in, uh, in national politics right now. Yep. Uh, there are so many progressives, liberals, Democrats who are, are saying, my God, look he's, look, he's burning down the country, burning anything in the Constitution, all this. Joe Biden has always had faith in the system holding, and he continues to see the system holding. And it isn't to say there aren't people on his campaign. I've talked to some of them. Who are more than a little disturbed about what's going on, they'd like to see uh, more alarms being being raised. Uh, the Biden campaign is actively fighting the Trump campaign in many courthouses. They're winning for the most part so far. but even if, even if that weren't the case, Joe Biden believes this is ending, and he believes there will be another side to this where he will be sworn in. He has no doubt in that question, and that's why he's handling himself this way. In fact, it's kind of a reflection of the of the the way that he ran his entire race where every, you know, people can can snipe at it, but it, but he won. And and he did win. And we sit here now a week and a day after the election and nothing has changed those facts and they are facts.
0: Mitch McConnell's been pretty matter-of-fact, too. Uh, let, me, let me let me play a, a, a clip from McConnell talking to reporters on on Tuesday. You know, he's m- m- McConnell is annoying a lot of a lot of people who would like him to congratulate joe biden he hasn't done that yet uh he's saying the president has a right to have his legal challenges heard but mcconnell has said nothing to suggest that he thinks that these legal challenges uh, are going to yield anything and and listen to what he said about the transition
2: yeah i I don't think we're going to have an interrupted transition to whoever is the next administration I think we ought to quit all the hand-wringing and not act like this is extraordinary. We're going to get through this period, and we'll swear in the winner on January the 20th, 2021, just like we have every four years since 1793.
0: I mean, you know, and you, you appreciate the calm there. But by the way, uh, Senator McConnell, this is extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, we, we're, I think we are headed towards a, a transition that will happen uh, as usual on, on January 20th. But, I mean, how, how bizarre uh, to have a president uh, unwilling to accept results and, and, and firing his defense secretary and all that. Uh, one, one more yeah. bit of sound, if you don't mind, while I've got Trevor on a roll here. Um, one issue that is, uh, one of many, that, that is concerning here is that uh, as the president um, you know, refuses to concede, uh, his administration is not doing some of the things that would normally be done to, to get a transition underway. One of those is providing the same classified briefings to the president-elect as the president gets. Um, and Mary Bruce, our, our colleague, uh, asked Biden about this on Tuesday. Here's what, uh, here's what Biden had to say about that.
2: Access to classified information is, uh, is useful. Uh, But I'm not in a position to make any decisions on those issues anyway. There's one, as I said, one president at a time, and he will be president until January 20th. It would be nice to have it, but it's not critical. And uh, that's, uh, we're just going to proceed the way we have. We're going to, we're going to do exactly what we'd be doing if he had conceded and said we've won, which we have. Uh, And so there's nothing really changing.
1: But not ruling out legal action?
2: No, I I don't see a need for legal action, uh, quite frankly. I think the legal action is, uh, you're seeing it uh, play out, the actions he's taking. uh, And so far, there is no evidence of any of the assertions made by the President or Secretary of State Pompeo. (laughs) Secretary of State Pompeo.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. The laughter's pretty good. Uh, you know, so so uh, so just to your point, the least freaked out guy uh, in the country maybe is Joe Biden, and um, you know we should probably all kind of take a cue from that. Uh, frankly, um, we, we we know Donald Trump makes noise. He's going to continue to make noise. He's got seventy days of noise making to do from from the White House, uh, but we do have a constitutional system in place, and he doesn't have the power to disrupt that.
3: That John is exactly right. Uh, the, the process, the system, it's all, it's all so far holding. Now, we can be back on this podcast and elsewhere in a couple days and say that things start to fall apart. But so far, no one has won anything. Nothing has been certified. Nothing has been finalized. The projections hold. We are confident. Other news organizations are confident. We'll continue to look into things. State officials will continue to look into things. In Georgia, they'll do a hand recount. But we know how it's ending. Uh, and, and, and I think the relevant point for, for everyone is that uh, Donald Trump knows how it's ending. Joe Biden knows how it's ending. Uh, it doesn't excuse or explain away behaviors that are going to take place over the, over the coming days, and, and some of them could be quite dangerous to the foundations of democracy. But uh, the election is over. Joe Biden is won. Period. End of story. All right, John, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Martha Raddatz joins us on the road for her perspective on Trump voters and also the Pentagon, which has gotten, a, gotten to be a really interesting beat in the last couple of days. Stick around.
0: Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined by our friend and colleague Martha Raditz, who is on the road doing what she has done uh, throughout this campaign—getting out and talking to uh, talking to voters—and in this case, talking uh, to some very potentially disappointed voters um, uh, across uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio. Martha, are you with us?
1: I am here on the road, in the car, in the rain, in the fog.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we know there's no fog. Uh, in, in when, when you're speaking so we are're co- reaching out to you for some clarity and before we get to um, to, to, to your current what you're currently doing I want to ask you about uh, the Pentagon nobody knows uh, that building better than you do nobody knows has a better connection with um, rank and file in the military military leadership what has the reaction been since the the, the, the firing of Esper the firing of of uh, others at the Pentagon and these these rather abrupt changes that, that are really something we've never seen during a, a, a lame duck period. What How are people reacting in the military?
1: You know, I think there was this in, initial, oh, they fired Mark Esper, he fired Mark Esper, everybody expected that. But then when it seemed like an actual purge of the Pentagon, and these are such high-level positions in the Pentagon, then there grew a lot of real concern about what was up. Why was he doing this? It's one thing to fire Mark Esper. We knew, you you both know well, that he was not happy with Mark Esper because Mark Esper publicly disagreed with him about uh, sending in active duty military troops to quell some of the violence. Mark Esper disagreed with that. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs disagreed with that. So so people knew that there was a target on Mark Esper's back. But when he did it so suddenly on that Monday and, and within 45 minutes after the president tweeting that he had fired Mark Esper, the new guy shows up. 45 minutes, they are setting up for him and he arrives and, and, and the highest rank he ever had at the Pentagon was a, was a mid-level deputy assistant secretary. So it, it, it and then he fires the policy guy and the intel guy and you start putting those dots together and there's real concern inside and outside the Pentagon.
0: Well, I mean, it is rather remarkable just just to just to look at Esper's replacement for a second. So you have you you have Christopher Miller who as you point out was mid-level at the Pentagon but he was only mid-level for a few months. I mean, he just, I mean, I mean, I don't know if he was there long enough to know his way around the E ring. Um, I mean, we, we, I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And then you have the, the guy that's been brought in to, to be the head of Intel, is 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 what thirty three years old. I mean, what what what's his background?
1: I'm thirty four years old. I mean, not only do you have Chris Miller, who who you rightly point out had only been there a few months. He's a, he was a special ops. Trump loves those guys. Trump loves these special operators and, and you know, the, the bang down the door types. I think Chris Miller is not looked at as a hardcore zealot um, for for the president, but, but rather someone who is more malleable. Um, he is not Mark Esper. He is someone who, if there is a suggestion of whether it's a military operation or whether it's, you know, uh, federalizing troops that he might go along with that. And you have the, the guy now who's going to head intelligence, a, a 34-year-old who, you know, the E-ring of the building, you may not even know what the E-ring is, but these are hardcore Trump supporters. And and that's what really worries people. Why did he do this? With just two months left in office, what is the point why would you have this purge?
3: I want to ask you about the, the journey you're on now. And, and to my mind, I, you know, one of the most valuable things that I think we've done at the ABC News has been the way that you've been out there in the country, all the correspondents as well. But you've also stayed in touch with so many of the folks. And I think you know, you've you you've shared some of your text message conversations and, uh, and uh, follow-up talks with, with so many folks. What What is your sense of what the aftermath looks like from Trump Trump world, that we know the president is is claiming that this election is still uh, under some kind of question or unkind of doubt. We know the facts don't bear that out. But do people, are, are Trump supporters that you're talking to, are they listening to that? Do they care about this? Do they think it's over?
1: You, you know, you have good timing, Rick, because we just passed a massive Trump make America great again sign, which I think, you know, there are many, many, many people who right now are listening to what Donald Trump says. Remember, he's, he got uh, around 70 million votes. There are people out here who do not think that Joe Biden is the legitimate president-elect. These are hardcore supporters who are devastated, who don't like the media, uh, who, who think we had no right to project that on uh, the election in any way. But you also have and, and you know, again, it really has been valuable getting an outside look and driving out and you know, crossing the country and staying in touch with people. I mean, especially during COVID. It's not like we can really, you know, pop onto an airplane any time of day and run out and, and and talk to someone. There are supporters who the very night of the election understood that things might not go the way they had wanted them to go. And some of the core people, people who, who literally said they thought the president walks on water, said it's time for him to move on. But you know, kind of going back to what what we were talking about before, and what John was talking about in the Pentagon, there are people who are really concerned how these seventy million people will react after um, after election day or before election day. What what will happen? To the people who are so devastated and are determined that Donald Trump is president and should be president for another four years.
0: Let's get back into the Pentagon. Um, you 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 mentioned that the thing that that really seemed to, to destroy the relationship between Esper and the president was when he made it clear uh, that that he did not. Think the the Insurrection Act. Uh, uh, he, he didn't agree that the, that the that the protests and the violence that we'd seen in American troops justified invoking the Insurrection Act and sending in U.S. active duty military to the to the streets of American cities. But there was another person that felt that way, and that was uh, Mark Milley, the the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now, if if we, he's still there. I, I don't I don't actually don't hear any talk of the president trying to uh, uh, trying to replace him. Um. But what, 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 is, what is your sense if, if, there is an, if there is an order that, that, that you know, to, to send troops into American cities or to, you know, a last, da- last ditch military adventure abroad, uh, something against Iran? Uh, what's going to be the reaction inside that building now? Esper's gone, but the Joint Chiefs are still there.
1: I, I think all of them. And, you know, when we think about the military, they are under civilian control certainly, but they all know, and you know, it's all through the ranks, you are never supposed to follow an order that you believe is illegal or immoral. And I can imagine anyone uh, in the Joint Chiefs now, I can't imagine any of them following an order that they thought was illegal or immoral. And that's a decision they would have to make, they would have to, to see what that order was, Certainly. But, uh, you know, Mark Milley has, as as you mentioned, I mean, he did not want to invoke the Insurrection Act. Uh, He apologized, actually, also for appearing uh, with the president in Lafayette Park uh, wearing camouflage. And he was not in the photo opportunity, He peeled off at the last minute. But he apologized to service members for that, said he did not want, did not like the look of that that it was political. He's been around a long time. I mean, I have no idea really exactly what he'd do or say. Uh, he's kept a pretty low profile. But all of those men, and they are all men on the Joint, joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, have, have taken an oath. And I, I believe they would stand up to that oath.
0: All right, Martha Raditz, we're going to let you get back to your driving. Uh, good luck in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Hope you come back and tell us, uh, tell us what you learned out there. And thank you, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Great to join you guys again.
0: That is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. And before I go, Rick, I've got a special tease. We are going to be back in the next day or two with a special edition of Powerhouse Politics, a special edition that has little or nothing to do with politics. Yet, I am certain listeners of this podcast will welcome it and love it. How is that for a tease? Thank you for listening. Thank you to Avery Miller, Trevor Hastings, for Rick Klein. Thank you. We'll be back soon.